this past year, as uh, many of you know, I work at Republic in the computer lab. And this past year, they got us some new, um, some new materials in, that we used to teach the kids, um, Microsoft Office products. And one of, the, one of the things that we do in fourth grade is we work with Microsoft Excel, which uh, some of you may know what that is. It's a spreadsheet program. And uh, we were using it, and I've shown them some different functions of it, how I can do the math for you real easily. It can total things, average things, all these different uh, functions it has. But one of the things that it can do is it can take that information that you put into it, just a bunch of numbers, and it can turn that into a chart, like a bar graph or something like that. And when I showed them how to do that, it just blew some of their mind. In fact, one kid, he looked at me, his eyes were great big, and he was... Mind blown, Mr. Braddock. I mean, it, it just astounded him that it could take this information and turn it into a graph. Now, Jesus is going to do kind of the same thing with his uh, hearers in Matthew chapter 5. That's where we are. Uh, Matthew 5, and we're going to pick up in verse 17. And we're in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has just uh, laid out the pathway to blessing in the Beatitudes. Last time we met together, we talked about being salt and light. And the verses that we're going to look at today are kind of a transition. It's going to go from what he's been talking about to talking about the Ten Commandments. And what Jesus does in, um, in those verses that, that are, are following is he's going to reinterpret some of those Ten Commandments, and he's going to raise the bar. He's going to show us that God's not so concerned. Well, he's concerned about our outward behavior, but he's not just concerned with that. He's also concerned with our inward motivation. He's not concerned only with the letter of the law, but also with the spirit of the law as well. And so uh, Jesus knew he was likely to be misunderstood. And so what he did is in, uh, in these verses and then the, the verses to follow, he laid out very clearly his relationship to the law. And basically what he says is this, I didn't come to set man free from God's moral obligations. The Old Testament, the law, it still has its use. It, is, uh, it, is, it, it, it can be beneficial to us, but I really came to fulfill the Old Testament. And because God's word is unchanging and important, man is obligated to follow it. And therefore, we need to be changed from within. God's not just looking for the outward obedience. Now, that's kind of my version of it. Let's uh, stand together as we read these verses. Um, and we're going we're gonna to see Jesus' version of it. He says a lot better than I did anyway. Uh, but look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17. He says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets, I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of God. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of God. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now, in the first couple of verses here, we see that we should value God's eternal, unshakable word. Now, I said a moment ago, but Jesus uh, knew that he was liable to be misunderstood. He's misunderstood today as as people look at his relation to the law. But it's a, he's especially likely to be mis misunderstood in this next section when he starts out saying things like, uh, "You've heard the ancients were told, you should not murder. But I say to you, or." You've heard the ancients were told, do not commit adultery, but I say to you. And so it sounds like he's taking what God has said and he's just changing it all together. And if that was the case, uh, you know, people would have a right to be upset, but 
But Jesus makes it crystal clear that's not what he's about. He's not here to abolish the law. He didn't come to destroy it or overthrow it. Instead, he says he came to fulfill it. He say, now, Pastor, I don't understand because Paul says that we are now under grace, not under, under law. But here's Jesus saying that he came to fulfill the law, and he seems to be uh, speaking kind of favorable to it. So should I be worried today because we didn't bring a bunch of animals in here to sacrifice or do something like that? What is he talking about? Well, Jesus wanted to know he was not setting up a system of religion that would compete with the law of Moses. He was not competing. He was completing. See, he was fulfilling the law of Moses. In, in other words, the whole Old Testament points to, it foreshadows, it speaks of Jesus in some way. Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Now, that's what he's talking about when he talks about the law and the prophets. He's talking about the whole Old Testament. Of course, uh, the, the Jews broke down the Old Testament into, into the three groups, the law, the prophets, and the writings, the Tanakh. But they usually just refer to the law and the prophets just as kind of a shorthand way of saying from Genesis to Malachi. In fact, it, um, it's referred to this way several times in the New Testament. You remember later on in Matthew, I think it's chapter 22, Jesus is having a conversation with a, uh, a lawyer, and they get to talking about the greatest commandment. You remember that passage? And he's, Jesus says the greatest commandment is to what? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like unto it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments, on these two commandments, Jesus says, the whole law and the prophets hangs. They, they, they all depend on those two commandments. So how did Jesus fulfill the Old Testament? Well, the things that are in view here are primarily the ceremonial law and the prophecies about his, his first advent, his first coming. Now, what I mean by this is when I say that he fulfilled the ceremonial laws is that you read through... Does anybody like Leviticus? This, I mean, nobody does, right? That's like somebody is called Leviticus and Numbers, uh, the reading through your Bible, Widowmaker. I mean, you, you get started in, in January. I'm going to read the Bible every day. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Hallelujah. Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1. Oh, heavens. And then we get to Numbers, and it's, it's, it's bad too. And it's all these, all these ceremonies, all these... Uh, all these sacrifices, all these things we should do, and we say, what on earth does this have to do with the price of rice in China? All that stuff points ahead to Jesus. All that stuff that we want to glaze over, our minds shift into a different gear, we're thinking about something else while we're reading it so we can check off the box, but we, we miss that points ahead to Jesus. For instance, the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur, if, if you have a calendar, sometimes you'll see that on, on, uh, on the calendar. That's the Day of Atonement. What is that? That was the one day a year that the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. How did that point to Jesus? Well, they take two goats. You ever heard of a scapegoat? This is where it comes from. They take two goats and cast lots and say, which one's going to be the scapegoat? The lot would fall on a certain one, and they would lay their hands on that goat's head, and they would confess the sins of Israel, symbolically transferring the sin to that goat, and then they would send it outside the camp, and it would run off. It would escape. It would take those sins far away from, from the people and never be seen from again. And there are verses that says something about as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God's removed our sin. But then the other uh, goat would be the goat of sacrifice. So they take this goat in and they would, they would sacrifice that goat and they would take the blood of the, of the goat and they would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. The mercy seat was part of the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the Ark of the Covenant was the golden box Raiders of the Lost Ark, remember all that? The, the golden box. And over it in the Old Testament, that's where God's presence dwelt. 
Inside the box was the law that God had given. So here you've got God, the mercy seat, and the law that man has broken. And they would sprinkle the blood of the sacrificial animal on the mercy seat between God and the broken commandments. It's no wonder that John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. All the Old Testament points ahead to Jesus in some way. Jesus fulfilled the ceremonial law. Now, because it was ceremonial, it was not eternal. You say, but, but all of God's stuff is eternal. Well, think about the military. If a general says to his men one day, Today I want you to come out in green clothing, fatigued, whatever it is. I want you to come out in green. A couple weeks later he says, I want you to come out in tan. A couple days later he says, I want you to come out in blue. That's ceremony. That can be changed. But the obligation to obey the general is still the same. There's the moral law. The ceremonial stuff is just this outward stuff that can change and be done away with. And Jesus said in this text that that was going to be fulfilled in him. And the book of Hebrews says it's already been, it's already passed away because Jesus fulfilled all those things. We have a new covenant, a better covenant. And so all that stuff, all the ceremony is dead and gone. So he fulfilled the Old Testament ceremonial law, but he also fulfilled the prophecies. How many times do we read just in the book of Matthew? He says, this happened to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet, and then he'll quote some prophecy, or or by the prophet Isaiah, or whoever it is. All these things Jesus fulfilled in his life. He is the end of the law, is what Paul says. Now, before we move on, I I want to deal with just a a little phrase Jesus uses in here. You know, I really like the newer translations. But some, sometimes I just can't help but hear the King James, even if I'm reading something newer. For instance, if you'll look at, um, oh, if you'll look at verse 18 again, it says, "For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished." Now I grew up reading the King James, so I heard, even as I read that, jot and tittle. Isn't that what you hear? Now I understand the smallest letter and stroke better than jot and tittle. But what is jot and tittle? Well, um, a jot speaks of the smallest letter they have, the yod. It, it looks kind of like an apostrophe. It's up in the air and just looks kind of like a little apostrophe. And a tittle is the smallest stroke that changes one letter to another. For instance, you think of a lowercase c and a lowercase e. What's the difference? That little line in there, right? That's a tittle. And Jesus said that not the smallest little mark of God's Word is going to pass away. No matter what happens, all of hell can come against it. It is so steadfast, no matter what happens, God's going to bring, it, bring about all that He's taught, all that He's commanded, all that He's prophesied. Now, what's the application for us? The application is, Jesus had a high view of Scripture. In fact, He, he made arguments against people based on tenses of words in the Old Testament. Not just words, tenses of words. That's a high view of Scripture. And it would do, do us well to have the same type of view. Because there are a lot of people in today who are against the Bible. I mean, it is, it is an onslaught in today's world against Holy Scripture. But somebody has said the, the Word of God is the anvil that thousands of, of, uh, of hammers of criticism have been worn out on. People can criticize it. They can cut it down. They can try to, try to do all manner of stuff to it. But God's Word stands. And I, I, I'm thankful for that. 
So he had a high view of Scripture. He, we should value the Scripture. But how do, we, how do we show the value that we place on, on the Word of God? We show it in our actions. There are a lot of people in today's world who say they are Christians. They say, oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe the Bible is God's Word. And they'll say they have a high view of Scripture until, guess what? They're going this way and the Bible says go that way. Then what happens? We all have those times in our life. We can be the most obedient Christian there is, but none of us are perfect, so there's going to be a time when God says, you should be doing this, and we're saying, but I want to do this, and we all have to make that choice. Am I going to do what God says, or am I going to do what I want? And there are a lot of people in today's world, and, 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 and maybe, maybe you've done this too, when the Bible comes in conflict with the lifestyle, well, then all of a sudden, well, you know, I don't think God's Word really means what it says. Oh, but you know, it was written so long ago by a bunch of Middle Eastern men, and that doesn't really apply to me as a you know, 21st century American. And, oh, and, you know, and we start rationalizing. And don't we do that? Oh, well, now, you know, Paul didn't really, you know, he wasn't Jesus, and I like what Jesus said here. And I'll interpret it the way I want to interpret Jesus' words instead of inter- interpreting everything consistently. They'll come up with some sort of esoteric. Uh, uh, meaning, oh, but you just don't know my situation. If if Paul was in my situation, he would have said something a little bit different. I'm, I feel confident. No. Talk is cheap. You show how you really feel about the Word by the way you live your life. And that's what Jesus is talking about. If you'll notice verse 19, he talks about the person who disobeys, or what's even worse is they teach others to do the same. They're going to be small in the kingdom of God. Some people interpret that to mean they won't even get to the kingdom of God. But the one who is obedient to God's word and then teaches somebody else to be obedient, Jesus says they're going to be great in the kingdom of God. You say, but Pastor, I'm still confused because he's talking about fulfilling it and yet he's still talking about doing it. What is he talking about? Again, it's not the ceremonial law. He's talking about the moral law, the commands. They still show us God's character. Because behind every precept, behind every command is a principle, and behind every principle is a, is a person. That's, Jesus, that's God. Okay, so, so let, me, let me explain. Did Jesus fulfill perfectly the law, thou shalt not murder? Up and down, yes, left and right, no. Did he fulfill that? Yes. So therefore, do we, are we obligated to fulfill the command, thou shalt not murder? Yes. Just because he did it doesn't mean that we are out from under God's moral law. Because it's an expression of God's character. And so there's still uses to the law. But Paul says in Galatians 2, he says, you know, righteousness, if you try to get your righteousness from the law, Jesus died in vain. It's not keeping the law that's going to get us to heaven, but it does give us a good, uh, the moral law tells us what God expects of his people. Now, Jesus talks about keeping the law, breaking the law. He says that because back in that day, the religious leaders had broken up the commands of God into the heavy commands and the light commands. Now, which do you think were the ones they said you really had to keep? Heavy ones. Oh, that carries a lot of weight. You have to do them. But the light commands, well, you can... eh, He's kind of fluid on that. If you break it, no big deal. You say, now, I'm sure I'm glad we don't do that today. 
We don't have any religious leaders or groups that say you can that some sins are worse than others. You ever heard of mortal sins and venial sins? Same thing. Breaking up the, the commands of God and saying, well, you can do some things and it's going to bring death. And some things you do, you can kind of do it with impunity. No, the Bible says that all sin brings death. If you, let, if you violate God's law in any point, James said if you violate one command, you've broken the whole law. So instead of dealing lightly with God's word and in turn showing contempt for the God who made it, we should be obedient to it, Jesus says, and teach others to do the same. Now Jesus and the New Testament writers stress that our walk, the way that we live, must be consistent with our talk. And both of those should be consistent with God's word. So the question that's begged here is, does this describe us? Does this describe you? Does this describe me? Am I one of those people? Are you one of those people who follows the law of God? Not perfectly. None of us can do it perfectly. But do you strive to do God's Word? Or do you say, well, you know, I'll just have a buffet today, and I like that one, not that one. No, I'll take some extra of that. I like that part that talks about God's grace. I don't like that part that talks about holiness. I'll just take a little dab of that. You know what I'm talking about? You know, it's, I don't want to talk about a buffet because I've been to them and it's not pretty. Man, I can, I can clean it out, but do we do that with God's Word, don't we? We say, oh, I like that. Uh, so I'll take some of that and I'll season it the way that I want. Don't like that, that, that. But I'll have some extra of that. No. It, it, Jesus, it all came from the same place. And that's God. So through your life and your words, do you teach others that the Bible is a light thing and that it's okay that if we, if we disobey it? God help us if we do. So Jesus, man, he's, he's stepping on some toes, right? He's saying God's Word is important. It's valuable. You're obligated to obey it because it came from God. But then, look at verse 20. Then he follows up with a really weird conclusion. Look at what he says. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. What? I mean, how did he jump from point A, the word's important, to point B, therefore we should do it, to point C, you better be better than them or you're not going to heaven. What's the connection? Well, I, I think it connects in this way. These scribes and Pharisees, now we, we have a negative view of them. And rightfully so, because they many of them pretended to be one thing when they were really something else. But the thing is, if you were living in that day and time, you couldn't have found anything wrong with them. Because if you looked at them, they were doing everything right. They were doing stuff that you wish that you could do. You, you ever found those people that it's it's like Jesus was saying here, and I'm not saying Billy, Billy Graham's a, a Pharisee or a hypocrite, but I'm saying many people look at Billy Graham and say, he's a man, right? And if Jesus is saying to us, unless you're better, if you're unless your righteousness surpasses that Billy Graham, you can't go to heaven. We would say, oh my, I'm in trouble, right? That's what that's the kind of view that they had of these 
scribes and Pharisees. In fact, they had a saying back then if, that if two people got to heaven, one would be a scribe, the other would be a Pharisee. So Jesus is saying, unless your righteousness exceeds these people that you're sure is going to heaven, you're not getting there. What was so great about them? They were faithful to pray. They memorized Scripture. They, would, uh, they fasted two times a week, every week. They tithed, even down to the, the produce they got out of their garden. If they got ten tomatoes, they gave one to church. They found a dime on the street, they gave a penny. I mean, they, they did it all. They, they would travel great distances to make a disciple. They did mission work. Scribes were out there with them. So using that standard, how do we measure up? How do you measure up? Jesus said, unless you're here are these guys that are they're faithful to give money, to pray, to memorize Scripture, to do missions work. And he says, unless your righteousness surpasses them, you're not going to heaven. Getting hot in here? It's uncomfortable, right? Because probably none of us here say, man, I got that covered. Jesus, you can count on me. We don't do that because we know that we don't obey the law like them. But see, the thing, the thing is, salvation is not by works. Listen, if you did all those things that those Pharisees did, and you did them better, you think that gets you to heaven? No. Because the Bible says that the, the works are not going to make us righteous. Keep, keeping the law is not going to bring us salvation. Salvation is not by works, because no matter what good works we do, it's never going to be good enough. As I said before, all sin, even the little sin, brings death and brings separation from God. So then how can our righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees and be the kind that gets us to heaven? He's talking about type and not degree. Let me explain. The Pharisees had a bulldog grip on obedience. I mean, you looked at them and you said, well, Paul, he said... Uh, in, in regards to the law, I was blameless. I was doing all the stuff the law said. And not only the stuff that God commanded, all these 600 and some odd commands that are in the Old Testament, I did those, but also all these traditions that passed down, all the hand washings and everything, I was doing it. You couldn't look at me and say, you did that wrong. He said, I was doing good. He says, I count that all as loss. Those things I count as gain, I now count as loss. Because... God is not concerned only about doing the right things. Because if doing the right things were enough, we could earn our way to heaven. But the Bible is abundantly clear that God looks on the heart, not on the outside. And our righteousness must come from a changed heart. See, these guys, Jesus would, would look at them, and this is my paraphrase. See, you bunch of snakes in the grass. See, his, his translation or his, his version, you brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes. And then he'd say, you're a, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. Seeker sensitive, right? You're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, you're painted white, but on the inside, you're filled with dead men's bones. Why? Because on the outside they were doing the right things, but their hearts were far from God. Inwardly they were wicked. And Jesus says, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to see the kingdom of God, look at verse 20. Your righteousness must surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. You've got to be made righteous from the inside out. It's not just enough to do the outward things. You have to have a change of heart. And that's the message for today. The law is important. 
But no matter how good a job you do at keeping the law, and none of us does a great job, but even if we did, that's not enough to get us to heaven. Because we've sinned, and the sin separates us from God. No good work that we can do is going to get us there. The only way that you can have your sins washed away, what was the old song say, walk and wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's it. And, and that happens when we turn our back on our sin and we turn to God in faith. Ask Him to forgive you of your sins. Ask Him to be Lord of your life. Put your faith in Him. The Bible says, All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not Jesus plus doing the good works. It's not Jesus plus keeping the law. It's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus, Jesus. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's just Him alone. In Christ alone. And if you've never done that, today's the day to do it. But for those of us who are Christians... We need to ask ourselves, how highly do I really value God's Word? How highly do I really value it? Do we value it enough to read it? We went to a pastor's conference um, just this past week. We got in last night or yesterday. And one of the men there said something in in his sermon that, that stuck out to me. He said, do you believe everything you read in the newspapers? And I'll just ask you, do you believe that? Everything you read in the newspaper? No. Do you believe everything you see on TV? No. Do you believe everything you read on the Internet? No. No, we don't. I hope. We don't believe that. Do you believe everything that's in the Word of God? Yes. Then why do we spend so much time reading and and looking at this stuff that we don't believe instead of the stuff that we do. And he said that, and I said, hmm, should have brought my steel-toed boot, uh, boots in here because it's so easy to spend the time on online or looking at the TV or, or reading all these things that don't really matter, that don't tell us the words of life and how tough it is to, to, to set aside the time to read the Word. How highly do you prize the Word of God? Are you, do you value it so highly that you set it above you and you say, I'm going to conform to it instead of making it conform to you? Because that's what Jesus in all Scripture is calling us to, to be obedient to the Word of God. How obedient are you? Jesus said, the one who disobeys and treats other to do the same is small in the kingdom of God. The one who's obedient... And, treats, and teaches others to do the same, it's going to be great. I'd rather be great than 